building customer and brand loyalty by making sacrifices on the front end to be there as a partner for the community in distress pays great dividends in the long run. Welcome to Food Safety Unwrapped, presented by Sani Professional, a podcast for food safety professionals, food service operators, crew members, or anyone involved in the preparation, service, and delivery of food to the public. Join us as host Dr. Hal King, managing partner of Active Food Safety and leading industry expert in public health and food safety management, unwraps important issues, innovative ideas, and effective solutions from subject matter experts and thought leaders. Food Safety Unwrapped, presented by Sani Professional, is brought to you by Sani Professional, the food safety division of PDI, and the number one brand in food service wipes. Sani Professional simplifies the way you clean, sanitize, and disinfect at the table, behind the counter, and on the go. For more information, visit saniprofessional.com. Welcome to another episode of Food Safety Unwrapped. Today, we're going to talk to a food safety business leader, Mark Miklos, who many of us know as Mick. Mick is a partner in the advisory services firm, Active Food Safety. Prior to joining Active Food Safety in June 2020, Mick spent several years at the National Restaurant Association, where as a director, he was responsible for the association's food safety and QA programming. Before joining the association, Mick finished an 18-year career with Waffle House, where he was vice president of food safety and training, and he was responsible for food safety solutions and implementation at over 1,600 restaurants in 26 states. Mick has served on numerous boards throughout his career, including the Sandy Professionals Food Safety Advisory Board, the Food Safety Summit Educational Advisory Board, Ecolab Food Safety Advisory Board, and the Board of Georgia Restaurant Associations. He's co-chaired several food safety task force and retail federation programs over the years. In addition to this work, Mick has also been active with the Conference for Food Protection and has served on several AFTO, NEHA, and NACHO committees and was a charter member of the FDA Restaurant Food Safety Partnership. Mick recently received an award from AFTO for his work on food safety culture in the retail food service and sales establishments. Mick received the National Restaurant Association's Operator Innovation Award for Food Safety for all his work he did on disaster preparedness and response and was the AFTO Industry Member of the Year in 2018. He has written numerous articles for Food Safety Magazine, the Food Service and Food Journal of Food Protection and Food Georgia Environmentalist. Mick holds bachelor's and master's degrees from the University of South Carolina and is a certified professional in food safety from the National Environmental Health Association. So Mick, I'm so excited to have you on Food Safety Unwrapped because we've been friends for so long, and it seems like we've been working together, even if we were in different places and different businesses, um, on pretty much the same thing, trying to improve the public health and doing it in the ways we know that we can affect the most change. Um, a lot of that's just related to, I think, a theme in your um, career in directly working and influencing the regulatory agencies that regulate food service and retail food service businesses Um, but also the relationships that you make in the business world as it relates to working with folks like me and other people that are other enterprises um, to to, build better programs in their enterprises and make their their, um, group safer. Um, You know, I remember years ago when we first met, and I 
probably don't remember where, but we but we introduced ourselves as, you know, you were at Waffle House and I was at Chick-fil-A and we said, hey, our our owners who created these companies were friends from the 1940s. And it's almost like we kind of decided, well, we should be friends too. And in the spirit of sharing best practices between competitors, um, you know, people might go to Waffle House or Chick-fil-A, you know, we kind of decided we weren't going to be competitors. And that was probably I don't know, 20 years ago, um, where now we all know food safety and should not be a competitive part of our relationships between the food service industry. I like to ask folks that are coming onto the program, you know, quickly just kind of tell me how yours 2023 has been going and what are you excited about in 2023 for the rest of the year? The things I the thing I'm most excited about about 2023 is that we just wrapped, just finished phase one of the Association of Food and Drug Officials, or or AFDO's, comprehensive survey that was designed to understand the current state of food safety culture and food safety management systems in American restaurants, grocery stores, and convenience stores. Now, that's been a two and a half year long project that started back in December of 2020. And as I said, we just now in 2023 put the final wraps on that. And we were fortunate enough to get the cover of the April-May issue of Food Safety Magazine. And with, with that, it's I've become a popular guy because suddenly everybody wants to hear about the project. I spoke about it at the Food Safety Summit um, on a 50-state program manager's call. And we're not done yet because still to come is a second publication in the peer-reviewed Journal of Food Protection Trends. That'll be coming out later this year. And then AFTO wants to launch phase two of this project in which we're going to repurpose the survey that we created in order to canvas smaller regional chains and mom and pop operations. So um, there's a lot percolating in 2023, and it does keep me out of the pool hall, so to speak. Um, And of course, like everybody else, yourself and your other guests that you've had on, on this series, we all have lives outside of food safety. Um, and so, you know, that's kept, uh, that's filled to help to fill in the gaps. Before we dive into the specifics about how a food safety business leader can improve the public health, which is a topic of our episode um, on Food Safety Unwrapped, I, I want to learn a little bit more about your history and passion for food safety. Why are you so passionate about food safety and leadership? It can't just be because it's been your job, right? Right. Well, it's simple, Hal. My slogan is, food safety first. Food safety first. Assuring uh, safe food is the most important principle for the survival of businesses and for the protection of public health. And in this regard, uh, food service and regulatory authorities are partners with a common purpose, which by the way is a phrase I borrowed from the article we co-authored in the Georgia Environmentalist back in 2009, and which has subsequently become the name of an AFTO-sponsored industry regulatory work group designed specifically to promote cooperation among stakeholder groups and to identify and overcome barriers to such cooperation. But I don't want to get ahead of myself because I know we're going to dive deeper into a lot of this, but let me just say that in food service, everything emanates from food safety and conveying that message and teaching that principle became my professional passion. It was a great stepping stone to many of the things that you've accomplished and actually went on to go do in that area. It's so important. 
Tell us about your first job that may have involved food safety quality or even led to that, that made you, where you were responsible for something like that or just where it led to your passion to care about food safety. Yeah, I can tell you uh, pretty specifically about that. It was the year 2000. And at the time, I was the director of training at the Waffle House corporate office here in Atlanta. A memo circulated around the office like a hot potato, and it eventually landed on my desk. And it was a memo from DeKalb County here in Metro Atlanta. DeKalb County was adapting the requirement for every food establishment to have a certified food protection manager, as called for in the FDA Model Food Code of 1997. They were giving all food establishments several months to comply. Waffle House had over 40 locations in DeKalb County at the time, if I recall correctly. In effect, this moment became ground zero for food safety at the Waffle House because until then, the company operated on tried and true standard operating procedures, but without a formal acknowledgement of food safety. So how do you go from zero to 60, right? I had to first get educated about what a certified food protection manager was and then get myself and my staff certified. Then I had to build a program and schedule to get over 40 managers trained and certified in short order. We accomplished that. And when the dust settled and we could catch our breath, I realized we had a great opportunity on our hands. Having built the foundations of a food safety training program with limited scope, it seemed logical to me to expand it as a company-wide requirement or a brand standard, if you will. So I set about making a business case for food safety training and certification for the nearly 1,600 locations we had in 26 states. We used ServeSafe from the National Restaurant Association as our preferred ANSI CFP accredited training program, and we negotiated with them to make it cost effective. I remember attending a C-suite meeting with our seven senior vice presidents, the chief operating officer, chief financial officer, general counsel, president, and CEO, and making a pitch. There was some skepticism. The long and the short of it is I was given permission to launch the program and to embark on a suite of food safety training and communication initiatives for the company, and we were off and running. And about a year later, I was called into the president's inner office and told I had been promoted to vice president of food safety and training with a responsibility for food safety programs and execution in those 1,600 locations in 26 states. And he said something to me like, Congratulations on creating a job for yourself, to which I replied, isn't that how it's done? That's an amazing story, Mick. You know, it's so important for folks that are on the podcast to hear that food safety business leaders um, not just help the business stay in compliance to maybe current requirements, but can see that what's coming is future requirements. Like now we know certified food safety managers are required around, around almost every state to work in a restaurant or at least at the owner of the restaurant. But at the same time, the value proposition for the business to just have that person already trained, why why wait for regulators or others to require it when we know there's a value proposition and then selling that to the the senior leadership to see where that value proposition is. And these are all kind of important lessons and experiences that food safety managers or others that want to get into the leadership role 
are, are going to be placed in a leadership role need to understand because you don't just wait and react to what's going to be required. You actually look out what's coming that helps get the company ready to be compliant. And, you know, it takes years sometimes to roll out new programs at a, a chain that has 2000 restaurants. Um, but at the same time, it has the ability to show the value proposition. Why are we doing it now? Why is it important now? And I think ultimately we'll learn more about this as we talk about this today with you, how that actually builds a relationship with the regulatory folks, because then they see the respect that we care about public health, too. Many of us became aware of something we call or we've heard call or you can Google this. It's called Waffle House Index that many that uh, even at the FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, have referred to. I'm not sure if it's official or not, but, you know, it's something that was out there in your time. What, what Tell us about what this is first. You know, what it, what is it all about? And then maybe we can unwrap, unwrap more about how this happened. So you may remember the name Craig Fugate. He was the director of FEMA under President George W. Bush. And it was during testimony that Mr. Fugate gave before Congressional Committee that he first coined the phrase, the Waffle House Index, sometimes called the Waffle House Test. And this is what it is. When FEMA crews are entering a disaster area, if they find a Waffle House open and running on full power and serving a full menu, they deem that to be condition green and they know they need to go further. And when they come to a Waffle House running on generator power and serving a limited menu, that's condition yellow, and they know they need to go further. And it's only when they find a Waffle House that is actually closed do they recognize that they've reached ground zero for the disaster, and that's deemed to be condition red. And this is all predicated on the Waffle House culture of always staying open 24 7, 365. And it's something that Waffle House operators are manically proud of. They will move mountains and overcome any obstacles to keep the doors open and the lights burning to serve their customers. It's an all hands on deck culture, but never more so as during a disaster situation. Yeah, we're going to unwrap some of that culture in a little bit later, but I, I think that's just a re really neat establishment of what the business has already said is important. You know, in this case, you know, helping the government know what's, you know, safe in an emergency situation. What were some of the elements that you guys had to put in place to prepare the Waffle House restaurants to be able to stay open? For example, during a national emergency, was there anything you had to do, you know, in, a, in prep for that? Absolutely. But I, the first thing I want to say about that, Hal, is I want to make it perfectly clear that Waffle House had a well-established and publicly recognized culture of staying open or being the first to reopen after a natural disaster long before I got there. All the foundations for intervention were already in place. So these well-established protocols were already in place, and Waffle House had decades of experience. Now, how does one do all that while keeping food safe? The fundamentals of food safety, I would argue, and the need to control risk factors are still the same, right? Things like ensuring adequate cooking and holding temps or ensuring that food is only sourced from approved suppliers or avoiding bare hand contact with ready-to-eat food, avoiding cross-contamination, avoiding the abuse of the temperature danger zone for time as a uh, public control for safety foods, 
Um, is there water? Are there supplies for hand washing and so on? The, the fundamentals do not change. Now, you know as well as I do that food safety professionals are often challenged even during normal operations to ensure compliance with these standards. Uh, that, of course, relates to building and sustaining a food safety culture, which is something I hope we'll get to talk about a little bit later. But imagine now trying to maintain a focus on food safety when conditions are not optimum. So my solution was to find ways to help the operators be successful, not overburdening them with layers of what might be viewed as additional responsibilities during time of stress. To that end, we created food safety response kits. These were pre-boxed supplies assembled well ahead of time and deployed when and where necessary. The contents were all things normally used to manage food safety, plus a few extra items, but they're things which might be in short supply in a unit operating in a disaster area. These were large corrugated cardboard cartons full of these items, which we then would deploy to restaurants that were in a disaster area. Meanwhile, back at the office here in Atlanta, I revised the storm playbook. The storm playbook is a three ring binder located in every restaurant to ensure that food safety was called out throughout that playbook where warranted. And we showed up. Food safety personnel, myself included, were part of the away teams. We deployed into the heart of the disaster areas. We worked in the restaurants alongside the associates and demonstrated how keeping food safe is not incompatible with working under duress. You know, I just, all I can say to that is wow. And I don't want to make a plug for anybody's business, but I know some people are going to be listening to this in food safety, large enterprises going, we don't have an emergency program in place or we don't have a system. So um, I hope they can call you or at least you can point them to the right places to get some of this stuff in the future because um, it's pretty comprehensive and it's amazing what was in place. And I certainly can see why the government, the U.S. federal government would actually want to know more and actually leverage this. Did you have to work at regulatory authorities? I know you had to, on the ground, had to get police to let you through barricades. A disaster, Hal, is not the time to be exchanging business cards for the first time with your regulatory authorities. Those relationships must be built in advance. So in quiet times, it was a priority for me to visit state and local health departments to introduce not only myself, but also to share our procedures for operating during power and water disruptions. I brought a copy of an example of the food safety response kit with me and conducted a show and tell explaining our procedures as I went. I was in effect an ambassador for the brand and I can't tell you how well received that gesture was. States and locals were not only impressed but relieved that they could count on Waffle House to operate safely while deploying their limited resources elsewhere where folks had no plans. While doing this, I was at the same time building those relationships with regulators. Many of those relationships persist to this day, and we truly did become partners with a common purpose. So let's talk about your time at the National Restaurant Association, Mick. Um, I think a lot of people may not know this, but that you actually went there um, when you left Waffle House to kind of take 
what you had learned in the food service industry to the next level, I think, infecting and influencing a lot of other restaurant brands um, with the knowledge that you have. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, what was your role there at the National Restaurant Association? Um, I began as a senior manager in regulatory compliance, working re- working remotely out of the Chicago office. I tracked the changing regulatory landscape across the country and intervened on behalf of member companies when necessary. During that period, I was also frequently requested to lead job task analysis whenever the ServeSafe program was being updated for a new addition. And I also assisted our psychometrician in validating ServeSafe exam questions and answers. I also formalized the relationship between the NRA and regulatory associations by joining AFTO, NEHA, National Environmental Health Association, NACHO, National Association of County and City Health Officials, as well as the uh, Conference for Food Protection. And I jumped in with both feet and began working on committees within those organizations. Everything that the food safety business leader does has an impact on public health, obviously, the the safety of the food in their restaurants or their retail establishments um, that they might be over but more importantly, just for the general public health. And I think NRA gave you an opportunity to make that platform very specific to the what the needs were, but also expanded to all the business, all the industry, not just one single entity. And that's another role a food safety business leader can do and move into as, a, as they influence public health. Did you have any goals that you wanted to see accomplished for the restaurant industry while you were in this leadership role that was kind of beyond the ones that you achieved there? Yeah, I did. I had several, Hal. But I think the most ambitious goal that I had was to affect national policy by suggesting a change to the FDA food code relevant to emergency operating procedures. Yeah, just it's interesting how that was kind of unfinished work from a national standpoint, even after what was accomplished when you were at Waffle House. Um, directly impacted FEMA and others, you know, around the country. Um, and specifically, I think probably many of these um, states that actually heard about and saw your program, including the the kits and everything else you sent to restaurants, that they were given permission to share with the industry too. So again, that that's a really inc- key part of food safety and food safety le- business leadership is that sharing so that others can learn and adapt it without having to try to learn it you know, from experience. You had discovered this better way to do and prep for natural disasters that the food code maybe didn't address. And sometimes the food code needs to be updated to address these issues because then it enables the states to adopt the rules that then enable the chains, restaurant chains businesses to be able to do them and be aware of them. Many times, a lot of independent restaurants around the nation, I think we have over a million um, aren't a part of a chain that don't have someone like Mick working in the business that knows all this, right? And those independents would never hear about what these resources are unless the rules were changed and the state would tell them about it. And then that's usually coming from the health department and through compliance requirements. That's a lot of stuff I know I'm talking through, you know, about what this is and why it's important, but you're you're the expert. You've done it. Um, you know, what did you do about this when you were at NRA and why? Um, as it relates to changing the food code. Yeah. Um, there was a a glaring omission, at least from my perspective as uh, someone having worked at Waffle House all those years with with the successes that we had, 
in emergency procedures. And, and that omission was that there was simply no alternative per code except to close an operation. There were simply no allowances for establishments that had well-developed emergency operating procedures like those that we had at the Waffle House. And so in much the same way that I recognized during my time at Waffle House that what I had done in one county in terms of food safety training and certification could and should be replicated for that entire company, I now recognize that not only the entire industry, but communities and first responders and indeed health departments themselves could all benefit if the Waffle House plan for disaster response became in some ways part of the FDA food code. You know, I think it's even more important for business leaders to hear this if folks are listening to this from outside of the food safety expertise, but they want to see what the value proposition to the business is. What you just said was the no, there was no alternative, but you got to shut your restaurant down. Well, we know what lost sales does to a local operator or franchisee, their family, their business. So not only the public health value that comes out of this for everyone to be able to do it, but it kind of changes the business model and helps these businesses stay open, but stay open safely. And they needed that criteria in the regulations to ensure it was done safely through your work. How did you work with local state authorities to kind of get that ironed out through this kind of process? I think it would be educational. Yeah. Well, of course, now this harkens back to the value and having built relationships in the first place, right? Because now you can approach an allied regulator, someone with whom you're already working, um, and say, look, I want to bring this to the larger uh, community through changes in the food code, and we're already working together. Um, this is effective in your jurisdiction. Uh, partner with me to make sure that the issue I write and the issue I present at the conference uh, carries the right kind of weight. And so I had a lot of support. I, I'm very, very proud of, of that. Um, uh, some folks on the call may know Ernie Julian, who led the food uh, safety uh, program for the state of Rhode Island. He worked with me on coaching me how to best frame my issue so that it would be well received by the council. But arguably, the most uh, significant support came from Sandra Craig. She's the uh, program manager for South Carolina Department of, uh, uh, of Health and Environmental Control. Um, it just so happens that when I brought this issue, South Carolina had just experienced what they called their 100-year flood. Some people may remember that. It was a, a horrible, disastrous experience that impacted so much of the state of South Carolina, the coastal, coastal regions in particular. And Sandra Craig stood up at the conference, came to the microphone and gave testimonial about the value that was brought to the communities, but also the value that was experienced by her agency in knowing that the Waffle House locations could operate safely. Because look, you know, the, these regulators in some cases had to get in John boats because the roads were washed out and they had to go by boat to try to get to locations, right? So so there were so many places that had to be inspected and so such a strain on the, the regulatory workforce, they could 
with confidence bypassed the Waffle Houses because they knew they were operating according to pre-approved emergency operating procedures. The community benefited, the first responders benefited, the regulatory agency benefited. So she gave a, a very effective testimonial in support of my issue, which was to amend the food code, that section 84411, to allow for um, pre-approved emergency operating plans. So, so who benefits? Well, for heaven's sakes, everybody benefits now because if you're that operator and it's your intention to stay open, you can do so. You can't just do it, but you have to take these steps in advance, partner with your regulators, create that emergency plan, get buy off on it, then have it ready to deploy when, uh, you know, when, when the disaster strikes. And I, you know, I, sh I guess I should say right out that we're primarily focusing on hurricane response. Hurricanes kind of give you a forewarning, but these plans apply whether it's a tornado aftermath, whether it's a winter storm event, whether it's no matter what it is, the 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 you know the code is written and the plans are written in such a way that they that they will apply in almost any situation. Yeah, I think you know our listeners probably have learned this if they're in these roles as a food safety business leader or they're leading food safety or managing food safety in enterprise retail food service of enterprise. Um, a lot of the things that they're allowed to do now come, came from this. For example, I know and there's some states that during bull water notice or a line of water was potable water was tapped, they make you shut down. But then Georgia came back and changed their rules based on many of these changes in the FDA afterwards. FDA has to change the rules first before the states adopt it. But they came back and changed their rules to if you had a plan. And you could show them that you could operate safely under those type of conditions. You could stay open. So I can only imagine the millions and millions of dollars that have been saved for the food service and retail industry just simply because of this action. You know, it's it's uh, at its most altruistic. The business becomes, or or is the business is seen then as a patron of the community a real caring partner who is there to provide normalcy to a distressed population. We're not just talking about a hot meal. We're talking about folks maybe living a week or longer in the heat of the summer with no air conditioning. They come into a Waffle House, they can cool off. They can get empathy, sympathy, right? They can hang out a little while plus get a hot meal. This kind of behavior by a business, it breeds customer loyalty. They were here for me when I was in trouble. I'll be there for them, says the customer, right? In the long term, this brand loyalty leads to an increase in revenue. And I'm not going to pretend that's a dirty word because we are all, after all, in business. So, so building customer and brand loyalty by making sacrifices on the front end to be there as a partner for the community in distress pays great dividends in the long run. Now, from a public health perspective, um, it means, as, as I've already said, and, if you, and as you've summarized, um, by consulting with the regulatory authority ahead of time and building those all-important relationships, um, 
all parties can be assured that resuming operations will be done safely. Thus, public health is protected. And unlike an operation that has no plan and no clue that tries to open anyway and may cause harm by doing so, which would compound an already exacerbated situation. So, so you know, it's it's a boon to the business if you can do it. It's a boon to public health as well. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and thank you for just kind of sharing what those are and reiterating the importance of having those relationships in the beginning that paved the way for these changes. I think um, we've all probably, if you're in this industry, have experienced more, you know, um, push toward trying to develop food safety culture, what it means, trying to define it. Um, and I know that you've been working on this as a project with AFTO that was funded through FDA. Food safety is important to us. It's our most important thing. But then you ask them, do they have a food safety business leader there or do they have a program? And they say, no, no, we don't need, we don't need that. We've never had a foodborne disease outbreak. Um, but we hear now how important culture is and we know we need to define it. And um, I also know that a lot of food safety culture programs have been developed or assessments and systems things for the food manufacturing business, but that we really haven't really had much, you know, to do with our coming out of the food service or retail food service industry. So I want to kind of unwrap that with you. Can you tell us about why the FDA wanted to fund AFTO for this purpose to, to um, develop a food safety culture for food service, retail food service? I mean, what's the benefit for the public health here? Well, the FDA funding, let's back up just a second. This is all part of what's called the Retail Food Safety Regulatory Association Collaborative Action Plan. Boy, that's a mouthful. Most folks on the inside just call it the collaborative. The collaborative is made up of FDA, CDC, AFTO, NEHA, and NACHO. Specifically, my work was part of Objective 5, to increase the number of food establishments with well-developed food safety management systems. Well, what's the benefit to public health? Having a well-developed food safety management system is associated with a lower incidence of out-of-compliance risk factors. And we know that to be true because of the data published in the FDA risk factor study several years ago. And it is generally accepted and has subsequently been borne out by the survey findings that food safety management systems and food safety culture are inextricably linked. We've known this uh, for a long time. We've acted on it. We've sought to build these relationships, but we now have data to reinforce the importance of this. The data was tested by something called a chi-square analysis. Now, I'm not a statistician, so I won't be able, don't ask me what, you know, how they do that, but, but it is a test designed to determine relationships between categorical variables. And that chi-square analysis of the data has revealed that there is a trend that where there is intentional relationship building between the industry and the regulatory authority, there is a 54% greater likelihood of having a well-developed food safety management system. And as we've already said, having a well-developed food safety management system leads to uh, a lower incidence of out-of-compliance risk factors. So there is, a, there is an obvious public health benefit there. In addition to the uh, value propositions we've talked about, 
you know, with all your experience at Waffle House and working with the industry through NRA and now these programs with AFTO and everything you've influenced for our nation, um, could you kind of share or unwrap some of those recommendations that you might have um, at a high level for those those people who are just starting their food safety career? If my own career has been any any kind of example as I've walked you through these this little bit of history from Waffle House days through the NRA to now, uh, the common theme in all of this is the importance of relationships. So, you know, I hope listeners will, uh, you know, take that to heart. But let me get to your to your question here. Yeah, there's some things that uh, somebody new um, should uh, should prepare for. First, persevere. Persevere. Be prepared to take one step backward for every two steps you take forward. Be prepared to some days feeling like you're playing whack-a-mole. Um, chase excellence, but not perfection, because perfection is a bit of an illusion anyway. And if you can get something to 95%, you're probably good enough. So be prepared to persevere. Always do right. You know, they say that the truth will ultimately prevail. The truth will ultimately emerge. Always do right, even when the pressure is to do less than right as it come, when it comes to holding up your standards for food safety. I would say learn to manage up. It's one thing to be put in charge of a staff and you manage down, right? So there's that. And then, of course, you have to manage sideways. You have to be able to, you know, cooperate and have consensus with colleagues on your level. But it's very important to manage up. If you can, if you can get your boss to think your idea was their idea all along, you've really crossed a goal line. You know, that's so important, learning to manage up. Um, when you talk to the C-suite, you have to make a business case. And I can recommend an excellent chapter and an excellent book by Dr. Hal King about how to uh, how to make that business case to the C-suite. Um, you know, it isn't enough to just say we got to do this because it's the right thing to do and I'm going to persevere, uh, you have to be able to show them the, you know, the return on investment for making the right food safety decisions. Um, build those cross-functional alliances. You're not going to be able to do it alone. Build the relationships and the cross-functional alliances. And last but not least, be a good listener. Be a good listener. So that that would be my sort of thumbnail sketch about the attributes that you would need to be on that road to success long-term. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Man, we have just uncovered so much and unwrapped so much in detail. I hope the listeners can, can re-listen to this and capture all this information. I know that someday you'll write about this, we hope. <laughs> Forget that. I mean, you actually wrote the forward for my, I think my second or third book, um, on this subject matter, which is really, really critical to understand the application for a lot of this stuff. So I really, really appreciate your friendship. Um, appreciate, appreciate you being on the podcast with us today, giving us all this time. Um, all this stuff is so important. We just needed to capture all of it um, so that others can actually learn from it. And again, this is about helping build the future food safety business leader, but also 
those who are currently in their business and just need some of these ideas and help to kind of grow their influence to ensure and improve the public health. Now, obviously, Mick, you know me, I could lecture and talk for three or four hours more, um, but I'm going to actually give you the mic to have the final word for today's podcast, and then we'll just um, hope everybody, everybody will come back for our next episode. Well, thank you, Hal. And I, I'm going to uh, be very succinct. In fact, I can give you one sentence as my last word, and it would be this. Remember that it's food safety first, then identify a need or a problem and make yourself the logical choice to solve it. Thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe to Food Safety Unwrapped, presented by Sani Professional. And join us next time to hear more insights from leading food safety experts on topics that are important to you. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.